This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So if you have concerns about your mental health, we're told, and rightly so, to go and see your GP. But there are calls now for better training and better support as mental health increasingly becomes a huge part of GPs' work. Good morning, I'm Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warnable. Daniel, GPs are doing more sessions in mental health care than psychologists. So (laughs) what needs to happen here? Do we need to better support and train GPs to do this work? Or is this just a huge flashing signal that our mental health care system is broken? Yeah, good morning, Rochelle. I was really taken aback when I heard that stat the first time because in many ways it doesn't really compute that we've got special generalists like our GPs doing more work in mental health, an area that is really Mm. specific than those who specialise in it, like a psychologist. I mean, we know GPs in Australia are our first point of call when we have health concerns. So in a way, it is heartening that people are discussing this with their GPs. But like you said, I wonder if this is a sign that there's simply not enough psychologists around or perhaps people just simply can't afford to attend one in the first place. I, I did a little bit of digging into this, very minimal, but... One thing that really caught my eye was the rate at which such presentations for mental health were increasing at GPs. So currently, GPs say that 72% of the patients coming to them are coming with mental health concerns. And that's something that's jumped in six years from 61%. So we know this is an issue. It's one that's not going away. And in fact, it's increasing So it really does need to be addressed. And on one side, it's good. It's good that as a society, we're getting better at putting our hand up and saying, look, I think maybe I need some help or I have some concerns. And your GP, especially if you have a good relationship with them, is always going to be that first port of call. But if they become your only port of call because you can't afford to see a psychologist or we know that mental health care plans, sometimes you get a, you know 10 sessions with whoever it may yep. be and then you're on your own. Maybe due to geography, there is no physical access. You know What sort of support mm-hmm. is there when it comes to telehealth? And then it's looking at just more and more pressure being put on to GPs to be able to handle everything. We know that it is general practice, but I yep. also wonder, Dan, whether a bigger part of this is leading to the reasons as to why less and less people are leaving medical school and wanting to go down the field of general practice because there is just so much pressure on you to be able to do it all and without Mm -hmm. that support and when it comes to someone's mental health we need to get that right yeah and it's no easy thing for gps either you're or patients for that matter as well you're sitting in you've got 15 minutes appointments and within that period of time as a patient you've got to be able to get to a vulnerable position and and share these concerns with a gp who's stressed as it is overworked as it is and is looking at the clock going i've got a certain amount of time to, to make sure that i get this diagnosis correct so I understand the stress on GPs, but as well, I think, I mean, we're seeing it already on the text line, the fiscal impacts of being able to afford a a psychologist, whether you are in a metropolitan area or a regional area, it's something that weighs really heavily on people's minds. And it might be the reason that we're seeing this disparity between those who can afford to have their Mm. mental health concerns addressed and those that can't. So do you speak with your GP about your mental health or maybe you're a GP or a retired GP and is this side of your work increasing? How would you like to be better supported? 
or the elephant in the room? Is this just a failing of our mental health system? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. GPs are picking up all of the work, well not all of the work, the majority of the work around our mental health care. And is that purely because we can't afford or we don't have access to psychologists? Already texts on this, Dan. Psychologists are just prohibitively expensive, even with subsidies. Mm-hmm. Who else can we afford to go and see except for the GP? And another saying, my GP misdiagnosed my thyroid problems as anxiety and put me on incredibly strong drugs that made me feel like a zombie. I think there needs to be more training, period, rather than just giving everybody drugs. Yep, It's just incredibly difficult for people to find this access and, and get it in line. Joe has given us a call already. Uh, good morning, Joe. What would you like to say? Yes, good morning. Um, thank you for having me online. Um, I would like to say that um, I would like for GPs not to be able to have full access to prescribing um, psychotic medications to uh, patients. We have lived experience with my husband um, who has had a story for 10 years um, and he was misdiagnosed in his early stages of um, bipolar disorder and he lost his job. I wasn't able to work um, and our quality of living went downhill and um, our GP we love and um, he's been part of our story for my husband's recovery model for many years. Um, but in the early stages, um, uh, another GP we went to um, in my husband's time of crisis tried to act and unfortunately he was misdiagnosed and it was a very downhill slope for us. And I wonder, I mean, was there someone else that you were seeing at the time, Joe? Like, did you have access? Did you feel like you had access to someone other than a GP to, to help no. assist your husband? No. In the initial stages, um, I didn't even know he was having a mental health crisis. I didn't even know about bipolar disorder. So mm. it was our first point of call. Um, and my husband did the Beyond Blue test online. He ticked the box. Yeah, and I, I, and his symptoms were very uh, much there. And unfortunately, um, you know, his family um, hid those sorts of parts of their life, which was a family history of bipolar disorder. So they weren't really on board to help. I know. I mean, I guess one silver lining is here. We are incredibly lucky in this country to have the services of Beyond Blue and, and Lifeline yep. and Sane, who are going to be speaking with later. Joe, thank you. We wish you and your family all the best. But so many texts already flooding in, Daniel, saying, I just can't afford to go and see a psychologist. One here, it says, even with the mental health plan, seeing a psychologist is just so expensive. I had a plan. I was still having to find $200 a session to see one, even with a rebate. I couldn't afford it, so I didn't even get my 10 sessions in. They're just way too expensive. It's really disappointing for people like me who really need one. And that's really disheartening to hear that. So thank you for texting in and for everyone who's called in to share your stories on this because it is something that can be difficult to talk about. It can be something that we need to be a little bit brave to talk about. So everyone who's contributing to the program, thank you very much. One person who can answer some of these questions is Dr Anita Munoz, who's the chair of the RACGP here in Victoria. Anita, we're hearing so much from people on the text line already saying, I really want to get in and see a psychologist, but GPs, psychologists, it's all too expensive. We've got a mental health crisis on our hands. How can we address something like this where so many people are wanting access but are finding barriers right throughout the spectrum? 
Uh, yeah, look, unfortunately, um, the, the, the essential and um, simple solution is greater funding for what's an essential um, medical service. Um, we know that, um, that patients aren't able to universally afford the um, the gap fees that practitioners apply to their services. And the reason the practitioners apply those gap fees is that what um, Medicare subsidies are willing to contribute to the cost of those services, it's just not enough to cover delivering those services. So if we want to have um, practitioners that continue to work in the medical and mental health space, um, they need to be remunerated for the work that they do. And what Medicare is willing to contribute just doesn't cost cover the cost of, of delivering good and high quality services um, and unfortunately increasingly the patients have to pay that gap and so we're really entering into a much more American style um, uh, system where people who can afford to will get the care that they need um, and people who have limited means are increasingly going without important care and I think that that is a very worrying trend. There's a text here from Anonymous and it says I'm lucky to get the Medicare subsidised psychology appointments but my psychologist is now booked up until April next year. It's hard to know how frequently I will need appointments months in advance and if something comes up between appointments, I just can't get a timely session. In that case, I do go and see my GP who was great with my mental health. Is there a way here of somehow combining the two because our GPs are if we're lucky enough we may have a GP for life it's someone that possibly understands us better than a specialist who you may only see occasionally or for that 10 sessions if that's all you can afford is there a way here to somehow make it work or do you believe that this is not just the role for GPs at all that it should stay to specialists no, um, in fact, the, the reality, especially in this country, is the vast majority of all mental health services in Australia are delivered by GPs. Um, and while I do understand and I accept that um, uh, there will be inevitably stories out there where things have not gone right and I, I think that as a profession we are always needing to continue to improve and to learn, um, the, the conversation can be very skewed because we don't really have um, uh, people calling up saying, um, you know, for example, I've had a, a whole heap of services that went perfectly right with my GP. We do tend to hear when things go wrong much more than when things go right. Mm. And the reality is that thousands and thousands of services in mental health are delivered by GPs all across the country and they are keeping the Australian population afloat from a mental health point of view. Um, if the general practice workforce were to not participate in that, um, there would be a mental health catastrophe so um, I think that it, general practice, like a lot of things, is very much a, a bit of an unsung hero and tends to only get attention when things go wrong. Um, but if GPs weren't prescribing and seeing people with mental health uh, disorders, then as, as you can see, 72% of our patients who we do treat for those disorders mm. would have no care at all. Mm. Um, and so I think that we do need harmonisation and collaboration. Uh, and there are times when patients will need intensive support and hour-long sessions with a psychologist or a psychiatrist um, but uh, GPs are um, very good at determining when patients need to go on to that level of care the big problem facing us is finding someone to do that work alongside us uh, because there's not enough people and it's too expensive for a lot of our patients yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Anita Munoz, stay with us because one of the great things about the Conversation Hour is we get calls from people who have lived experience with all these sorts of things, but every now and then we also get someone with a bit of expertise that's called up, and that's exactly what's happened here. Professor Harriet Hiscock from the Murdoch Children's Center Call. Good morning, Harriet. 
What prompted your, your call into the conversation hour? Oh, look, um, this is a, an area dear to my heart. And uh, three years ago, we've set up a community of practice for local GPs, paediatricians, nurses, social workers, psychologists in the northwest of Melbourne, in our primary healthcare region, to get access to the child psychiatrist um, from the Royal Children's Hospital. So we run monthly online sessions around topics that GPs and the other clinicians have chosen, like suicidal ideation, eating disorders, um, mm. depression, autism. And then the psychiatrist provides a primary and secondary consultation models for the GP and the paediatricians to get access to that child psychiatry expertise, because as we're hearing, it's really hard and rare. And um, they can get that for a diagnostic issue or a management issue. And our evaluation has shown that we've reduced referrals to the the mental health service at the hospital. We've improved clinician confidence and competence for managing kids' um, wow. mental health. And we've reduced burnout because they're working together and they mm. feel more supported. And um, we won a Victorian Public Health Care Award two weeks ago for um, Oh, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, when well, we look at some of the solutions care. and community care and some of the resources that we already have within our community, community as well, do we use and utilise people properly? Do you think, Harriet, and is there a way to better do this and to make access easier for people? Yes, look, I think there is. I think that's what our model has demonstrated, at least for the um, the GPs who participated. They said they now felt confident to do more because they had this community of practice as a backup and they had the psychiatrist as a backup. So, for example, one of the GPs said, you know, I've been managing a, a young adolescent with suicidal ideation. She'd been in and out of the emergency department. She was on several waiting lists um, who were trying to prioritise her. But because of this model, I was able to counsel her and her parents, start some medication, manage that. And she said, I've no doubt the outcome would have been different if we didn't have this model. So I think we can scale this and use our resources more efficiently and more effectively with this sort of primary, secondary consultation model and online community of practice. Harriet, thank you so much for calling through and looking at who we have in our society and something that we discuss all the time. I mean, there's a text here saying we used to have great mental health nurse GP program that was cancelled some years back. Reinstating this could help. Would you agree with that, Anita? Do we need to look at some of those mid-tier services that we have, you know, whether it be bringing back mental health care nurses, looking at the role of counsellors, even looking at the role of youth workers to mm-hmm. a certain degree, all of these people that are there on the front line that help us so that we don't get to crisis point? I think that, that what, what we need is a system that works rationally. So um, the, the starting point with getting the right person the right care at the right time is an assessment of how severe or risky their situation is. And then making sure that um, patients who have got more complex or more serious severe disorders are getting um, the level of care that they need. Um, and there can be a, a definite role for um Nurse, nurse practitioners and other allied healthcare workers in supporting people with mental health conditions. Um, but we also want to make sure that we've got people um, at the pointy end with enough expertise that can help when things become uh, more complex or more difficult to, to manage. And so um, a, there is a big problem in um, Victoria and the rest of the country in accessing good psychiatry opinions for when patient care becomes complex. We did used to have um, services that allowed a a, um, similar consultation to what Harriet has just described for GPs to get 
rapid and uh, um, access to a psychiatrist to give an opinion about next steps for really complex care and that has been removed from our environment mm. and we uh, if we want to keep people out of hospital if we want to keep people well then there will be occasions when uh, we need collaboration with psychiatrists and psychologists but the, the short answer is yes absolutely I collaborate a lot with the nurses in my practice when we're treating people with mental health and drug and alcohol problems and they have a key role to play unfortunately funding systems don't really recognize the role that they play and so that creates a real barrier to getting um, our nursing staff to work, um, you know, perhaps um, to, to the top of their scope. Yeah, and just quickly before we let you go, Dr. Adina Munoz, the thing that really stands out on the text line, and, and from what you said earlier as well, is the gap between those who can afford health and those who can't afford health. Quickly, how do we solve that issue? Is it simply just more funding from, from government and the like to, to bridge that gap so it is accessible for everyone? I think we need to have, um, I, I do understand that with, with the number of people in Australia and how much funding we have, not everything in health can be free. We just don't have the budget for that. However, we are failing to recognise we have a duty of care to manage people who are vulnerable in our community. So I think there needs to be dedicated funding for people who are, are low income earners, people from uh, newly arrived people from um, other countries, refugees, people with significant mental health or drug and alcohol issues that make it very difficult for them to work or people who uh, live far away from adequate services. We need to recognise that if we want equity in our health system, we need to give those people more, not the same, mm -hmm. as what other people who can afford care can contribute because they will. people with means will always be steps ahead of people without means. So yep. we need dedicated funding to create um, equity, not just equality. Absolutely, well said. Dr. Anita Munoz, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Anita Munoz, the chair of the RACGP here in Victoria. And of course, if any of these conversations have brought up anything for you, there are numbers that you can reach out and call. Lifeline is 13 11 14. And Sane, who we'll be speaking to a little bit later in the hour, is 1800 187 263. Paul has given us a call in lower plenty to have your say. Paul, thanks for holding on to the line. What would you like to say? During COVID, the federal government allowed with Medicare from 10 visits to 20. And I think when the Labor Party got in, they, they knocked that on the head and reduced it back to 10. Mm. I, I think it's, it should be looked at again because mental health is, is getting worse. And I think sometimes you, you need more than 10 visits. Absolutely. I think in most cases, you probably need more. I mean, often it's lifelong. And yeah. what's interesting is during periods with COVID and lockdowns, we saw the solutions, right? Whether it be we found a way to house people who were sleeping rough. Uh -huh. We doubled your mental health care plan. We proved, Paul, didn't we, that when we want to, we can afford it and we can do it. And I don't think mental health is something that we can take lightly. I, I think that's a great idea to go back to 20. You know, we've done Absolutely. it in the past. 
and we've seen that it's worked before. So why wouldn't it work again? And like you said, these are issues that, that hang around, don't they? This isn't yeah. something that you can fix in four sessions, five sessions. Often it is something that requires lifelong attention. And even though it might look like initially or in the short term it costs money, we're only just mm. starting to research what preventative medicine looks like and how much preventative medicine can actually save us. So whether you're a GP and you are finding yourself working more and more in the field of mental health or if you've reached out to your GP because you simply can't get in to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. As we look at the role of GPs when it comes to our mental health, on one hand it's great that we're putting up our hand and saying, I think I need some help, I feel mm-hmm. like I need to speak to somebody, but is this always going to be the role for GPs to play? Is it just that we have a big flushing sign, Dan, that is saying mental health care is unaffordable for yep. most people? And that's what we're seeing on the text line as well. This from Paul in Gisborne. I'm sorry, over $200 an hour is way more than a fair wage. Simple fact is that they overcharge the same as dentists. I'd rather see a GP getting that sort of salary. Dr. Dan Wilson has given us a call as well. He's the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria president. Um, Dan, thanks for joining us. What do you make of this? this I guess, constant discussion between affordability and access for those who have and those who haven't when it comes to mental health. Is it fair in our state? It's a constant struggle between being able to meet the needs of the population and delivering care that is acceptable level of quality, but also affordable. Um, Because we could potentially look at changes to Australia's healthcare system where we can provide better, more accessible healthcare, but the quality of that mental health care, for example, might need to be balanced off with, with the quality that's being delivered. So previous um, uh, uh, listeners just written in around charging $200 per consultation uh, for that entire hour. And indeed, that may be what's required to keep the lights on in the room mm. for that psychologist to keep the business turning over and and remunerate for all of the years of study that that, that skilled clinician's undertaken. Um, there are a balance of number of factors, but it is certainly unaffordable a lot of care in Australia, particularly for vulnerable groups. So there's affordability, but then there's also accessibility. And when we talk about regional and rural Victoria, there's a message from Chris, who we know is a regular listener here, and she says, Rochelle and Daniel, there are just no psychologists in rural areas. And we know that Chris had a really traumatic experience where multiple members of her family died. And she said it took a nine months to be able to actually get help. I mean, that's a, a failure isn't it, Dan? It is a failure of Australia's healthcare system, which I attribute many of these failures to lack of poor planning on both a jurisdictional and commonwealth level to address the maldistribution of healthcare workers across this country. Uh, most healthcare workers, many of my colleagues, work in metropolitan regions with obviously a, a dearth of GPs, of nurses, of psychologists working in uh, rural Australia. Today I'm consulting in my regular practice in Maryborough. We're very fortunate. We have a total of three psychologists and counsellors for the entire region. How did you manage Um, that? (laughs) (laughs) We're we're very fortunate to have them in the region. Um, I think uh, it's just a little bit of luck rather than uh, good planning on any particular government side. So how flat out are they then, Dan? I mean, uh, how long are their wait lists? Uh, some can have relatively short wait lists, so there's often cancellations on the day and if you're very lucky, it can be even possible to see them within a couple of weeks, but one of those counsellors has a three-month wait, so yeah. reasonably long. 
Um, I will just say, however, that um, to anyone that's, uh, uh, I suppose, struggling to see mental health supports within their towns, uh, that uh, now there are uh, video telehealth item numbers available to psychologists and counsellors. Uh, and you can simply visit psychology.org.au and search for any relevant counsellor or psychologist and they can provide your counselling and psychological support via the computer. Oh, well, I guess when we look at the way that the world has pivoted post the pandemic, that is one benefit that telehealth is a lot more accessible and, and with Zoom and everything, um, we're, we're seeing faces a lot clearer than we potentially have in the past. Uh, we're speaking with Dr Dan Wilson, the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria President. You touched on it a, a little bit there, Dan, with the staffing that you've got in Maryborough. But what is the regional metropolitan divide like when it does come to access to, to mental health services? Is it still harder for people in the regions to get the appropriate care that they need? And if so, why? It's near impossible at some times for some of my patients to receive the care that they need. And we often talk about and the need for psychological services. There's also a term which we, doctors will often use as psychiatric services, which are individuals that might need to see a doctor who's um, trained in additional mental health care. And they're particularly needed for individuals with um, often what would be termed more debilitating or more severe mental health conditions. And that might include a diagnosis such as schizophrenia or bipolar affective disorder. There is no psychiatrist in Maryborough. There are no private psychiatrists uh, willing to see many of my patients, even in the mm. region. Uh, so general practitioners like myself are left to upskill ourselves and provide that ongoing care. Um, and indeed, uh, the books are completely full for the psychologists trying to provide uh, care to many of these individuals, let alone new people that might move to town or, or Christine, like your additional listener who, who had to wait mm. for nine months. So the divide is stark and the, the, the burden of care has fallen to general practitioners. So, Dan, what, does, what happens then? Is it up to the individual GP like yourself to upskill and to take these patients on and to have the expertise? Does it fundamentally need to change at a training level? And I, I guess the added element to that, sorry to throw so much at you, we're already seeing a huge number of people not wanting to leave... Uh, medical school wanting to go down the line of general practice because of just how much is expected of them. Is this going to decrease people's interest in going into the world of general practice even more? There have been declining interest in general practice, but thankfully an increasing interest in what's called rural generalism, which is a general practitioner that works in rural uh, Australia with additional skills. And one of those additional skills that are being advertised to medical students is to become a GP with mental health interests or a special area of practice in mental health. Uh, and we are seeing a bit of an upkick in graduates with an interest in doing that work. However, a GP cannot simply do it all. I cannot simply do everything mm. that meets my community needs. So I'm very, very glad to be able to partner with um, specialist mental health nurses and nurse practitioners, many of whom uh, work employed within the state health system, so working in Bendigo and Ballarat. Um, and we do need to look at comprehensive reform to the way that we fund our um, healthcare practitioners uh, through Medicare or other means such that I can come and have a mental health nurse come and work within my practice and meet my um, patient's needs rather than having to travel an hour to Ballarat or Bendigo. And some mm. of those individuals just simply can't even afford to travel, let alone pay an out of yeah. cost. Exactly. Well, if nothing else, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that you've given us there, Dan, and we appreciate mm. that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time.
That's Dr Dan Wilson, the Rural Doctors Association President of Victoria. So are you speaking with your GP about your mental health, if you are a GP? Is this side of your work increasing and how would you like to be better supported or is this just another failing of our mental health system? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Daniel Miles with you as we look at the role that GPs play now when it comes to our mental health. They are seeing people more than psychologists are when it comes to us needing some help and some assistance with our mental health. This, hey there, I'm a master's degree psychology graduate, provisional psychologist, and I get paid an award wage of just $31 per hour. It's hard to get a job. Private clinics don't want to employ provisional psychologists because we can't get a Medicare rebate number until we complete our one-year internship and apply for full registration. It's just crazy, says Michelle. And looking at those middle ground you know those areas of solution Mm. dan miles that people can start to introduce but then others saying if we just added an extra 10 appointments it means that there's 10 appointments that somebody else can't have psychologists aren't in infinite supply well dr simone uh, Dr. Simon, apologies, Stan Fracci is the chair of the Victoria branch of the College of Psychiatrists. Simon, are you concerned that GPs are playing the role of psychologists and psychiatrists? Hi, and thanks for um, inviting me to speak to you today. I think it really depends upon um, the training that people have. Uh, there are many GPs who uh, have um, received further training in um, um, psychological uh, techniques and certainly in treating mental health problems, but m- many others have not, of course. And so it really depends upon people's um, capability, um, their training, uh, their confidence and their experience in um, in determining whether or not they require, you know, to access specialist care and if so, at what point in the, um, uh, in, in the patient's care that's, that's necessary. Simon, do we have enough psychologists in Victoria to accommodate the needs for this state, knowing how important mental health is? Look, that's that's always these are very difficult questions to answer because um, it's very difficult to come up with formulas. But I think, generally speaking, um, the answer to the question lies in the waiting lists. Uh, if a patient is unable to access care uh, when they require it, and if they're unable to access the expertise that they require when it's necessary, then the chances are there's not enough psychologists, and that seems to be the. The, the the very common experience of um, mm. uh, patients and, and families who are seeking help. So why is that? Has this just been a slow-burning problem that has now become just blatantly obvious? Uh, look, I, I believe so. I think, uh, you know, we we heard here in Victoria from the Royal Commission that, um, you know, the system was broken. Uh, and uh, uh, when the Royal Commission explored that that issue m- more closely, what we saw uh, was a tale of neglect over many, many years. Uh, it took many years to get to this point, and it's going to take a few years to get out of it. Uh, I would point out also that um, one of the consequences of uh, the increasing awareness on the part of the general public um, uh, of mental health issues is also that demand has gone up as well. Mm. Uh, People are increasingly willing to recognise mental health issues uh, and seek help for them, and that's also putting pressure on the system. And that's almost a double-edged sword in many ways because one of the other things that we've seen is that people are noticing that this is an issue, but they're instead going to an emergency department rather than a psychiatrist or a psychologist or even a GP. And that puts uh, added pressure 
on an emergency department, which, which is already under a significant amount of pressure. So how do we redefine and rework that issue when we, we are having people in crisis who are going to an ED department? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, that's a very good um, question and a, and a really interesting thing to reflect upon. The Royal Commission uh, did map out uh, what it saw as uh, some of the solutions in this regard. Uh, it spoke about the need to provide alternatives to emergency departments, and we're yet to see um, a lot of work. Uh, we're, we're yet to see a lot of these alternatives come online. There's a number of reasons for that, of course, one of which is that there's not enough people to staff uh, those uh, alternatives. But, um, uh, you know, right across the country, we see uh, ideas like urgent care centres. Mm. Uh, we see, you know, um, drop-in uh, cafes that are peer-led. Uh, there are many other sort of um, alternatives, but we need staff, of course, and we, um, as well as the, the, the funding to, um, uh, to resource them. Would you like to see the mental health care plan go back to 20 sessions rather than 10? Look, I'm fairly. I, 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 I'm. I've never really been sort of um, uh, locked into a particular number because ultimately, uh, it's. Um, uh, it, you know, uh, the number of sessions required is very much dependent upon an individual patient. We know uh, that um, that. You know, some people get better in three or four sessions. Some people take 10, 20, 30 sessions to improve. The lack of flexibility is problematic. Uh, and, and we've heard that from our psychologist colleagues uh, loud and clear. Uh, and, um, and so I would like to see more flexibility in the system, recognising, though, that when mm. um, more sessions are provided, that, um, uh, that, that, that fewer patients can get seen, of course. Cause, um, but, you know, there's a, there's a complexity in that which... Um, which I'm sure others have explored with you. And then there's also the question of a lot of people don't think that a psychologist is for them, you know, that you have to be yeah. at a point where it's quite dire uh, and that you really need help and that you need to see a psychologist. And as a society, we're slowly sort of breaking down that taboo that, you know, wouldn't it be great actually if everyone in society could have access to a psychologist <laughs> when they needed yep. one, whether it be weekly or monthly or yearly, that you could touch base. But I also think too, Simon, that a lot of people think that well they, they they cost 200 bucks an hour and i just can't afford it but there's messages here from lots of different psychologists that are texting us on the program this one says not all psychologists charge 200 dollars per session some of us are in the profession have compassionate fee structures including bulk billing on mental health care plans for unemployed and for students but you're so right in the profession we have lobbied the current government to reinstate the 20 sessions for those patients on mental health care plans for evidence-based reasons uh, for mental health and for the mental health of the community, but to no available, uh, to no avail. Sorry, the government refuses to acknowledge and to listen to this fact. Do you feel like either at a state or federal level, Simon, that you're being listened to as a profession? We are being listened to. the The question is whether those, that listening is resulting in the kind of action that we'd like to see. Uh, there are many conflicting and uh, conflicting positions that uh, different professions take. There are many different ideas that the professions and other stakeholders bring to government, and that is always um, uh, a bit of a, you know, that, that does create some difficulties. There's no question that um, the demand for mental health services has increased. We'd particularly like to see more um, being done uh, within the public uh, mental health sector in order to help relieve the private sector to a degree and in order to provide 
training uh, opportunities for psychologists and psychiatrists who will one day uh, work in the private sector and who currently don't really get enough exposure uh, to the um, to the kinds of problems that um, that people in private practice are um, uh, are having to deal with. Simon, it's a, a difficult dis- discussion to have, a complex one, but we appreciate your expertise. Thank you. That was Dr. Simon Stefranchi, the chair of the Victorian branch of the College of Psychiatrists. Rish, this on the text line, Rochelle and Daniel, in an ideal world, we'll have more psychiatrists who charged less. Therefore, having initial assessments that evaluate physical and psychological reasons for symptoms. Then once physical causes are eliminated, coordination with a psychologist and hopefully less cost to the patient. We should aim for universal mental health care. Also, the older age cohort is neglected partly because their problems are not considered, so not seen as concerning, and they don't keep them out of the productive workforce. That's from Chris. He's got a, got a plan. Yeah, it's brought us with a plan, but it's there's still, I guess, holes in in part of this where people are still falling through the cracks, which is something we're seeing a lot. This as well, I see a psychologist and a physio due to injuries sustained in a car accident. My physio is as much my sol- psychologist as my actual psychologist is. You can't switch off between seeing different professions, so my physio hears all of my problems too. And what I find fascinating in conversations like this is how much we need to actually recognise and realise and support those mid professionals, you know, in those mm-hmm. urgent care centres, those drop-in yep. centres, those that are working in the drug and alcohol sector, those that are working in the peer-to-peer support sector. We need to recognise those people and support them on a community level yep. because that's what helps us as a society and so that you don't have people out of sheer desperation presenting to emergency because yep. there's nowhere else to go. So maybe you're a GP or maybe you've spoken to your GP about your mental health. Or is this just a big flashing light that says that our mental health system isn't working? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warnable. And Rachel Green is the CEO of SANE. And there's so many texts, Rachel, coming in that say things like this, for example. How come during these conversations there's no mention of mental health social workers who are well qualified to support individuals? Do you feel like as an organisation that you have the support that you need as more and more of us are throwing our hand up and saying, I need some mental health care. I need a mental health care plan. Oh, look, uh, absolutely. I think that there's um, always room to be doing more. And it's interesting you mentioned social workers. I mean, I, I feel like every every few years they get rediscovered. Yes, <laughs> I know. I agree. <laughs> if people think and reappreciated, if was, right? And if but, only there was someone who could listen to you and think about your needs holistically, there must mm. be someone out there and someone discovers social workers like they're mm. a brand new invention, along with occupational therapy, along with mental health nursing, along with peer work. Um, but they're the first to be cut, right? When we look at funding in community legal centres, for example, within school programs, it's social workers, it's youth workers, they're the first programs that get cut. Well, cut or never funded properly in the first place. I, I have this funny thing that always pops into my head. You know, when there's an IT problem and, and you ring tech support and they say, have you tried turning it off and on again? I always think, <laughs> have you tried funding it properly in the first place? Mm, and mm. often when you see these pinches in demand um, or, or problems in the system or problems that end up, you know, on in the headlines, uh, actually you can trace it back 99% of the time to a system and a set of services that were never funded properly to begin with. 
Rachel, at the moment we're seeing that 71% of people that are going to their GPs are coming to them with mental health problems. We know that this is something that's increasing and over the last you know, six years that figure has gone up by around 10%. Is this an appropriate way for us to be dealing with mental health concerns or is this, as we've been saying through the program, a flashing light that our mental health system at the moment is broken? It's absolutely not a surprise to me. I mean, I think... One thing we know and we've known for a long time at saying, you know, we're an organisation that works nationally to support people and families with complex mental health issues and trauma. And we've known for a long time that the GP is the most consistent and most long-term and most fundamental part of the support team because they're they're the ones that are there long-term and often they're the ones that people are, that, that are most accessible because they're most likely to bulk bill. And they are these expert navigators of the entire system but it's also clear that they're under strain you know we we ran a workshop with our ACGP members earlier this year to understand how we could work better with our new guided service with GPs and we heard directly from them how frustrating it is when they make all these referrals and don't necessarily hear back when their patients can't get access to services um, because the wait lists are too long or because mm. there's a cost barrier or for some people with complex needs they're being turned away simply for being too complicated so yes it's absolutely a sign that that there are services missing from the spectrum of what should be available and i think a lot of the time that's got to do with uh, you know missing mechanisms for, for innovation and and quite simply as i said before missing funding before we have a chat to Natasha, who's called through Rachel Green, when you talk about, you know, you work closely with the Royal College of General Practitioners, could it be something as simple as where, say, offices like SANE or Headspace or whoever it may be, could you have practitioners, workers from your organisation placed within GPs, like placed within, uh, you know, local practitioners' offices as opposed to running separately? We actually have designed our guided service around that concept, basically. So what we offer is a thing called the guided service. And so it's intended to be uh, uh, something that augments or bridges the gaps between support services. So we work with people over about 14 weeks. We help them develop a recovery plan. We provide counselling and peer support and we help people uh, in that interim stage and we provide information and support and we act as a go-between between primary care and different specialist services. And so the reason we're partnering with RSCGP, the reason we have GPs on our board is to help, uh, you know, be that integrator in the system. And in fact, there's so much potential for the work we are doing and for technology to help make that process a little bit mm. smoother. The challenge right. is we're trying to interact with government systems that, that aren't ready and that won't respond and won't necessarily interact with the NGOs. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, stay with us because we are going to take this call from Natasha who's called us in from central Victoria. Natasha, good morning to you. Uh, I believe your ears were piqued by the mention of the word social worker. <laughs> well, the fact that they weren't mentioned actually more, more than anything. Okay. I think that when we talk about mental health, we... I'm often talking about psychology and psychiatry and uh, GP mental health programs, but we we just often forget that there are social workers out there, mental health accredited social workers, um, who are providing counselling for people. Um, so that's one point I wanted to make. But the other point was that some of the funding models that we have over the years have become more and more privatised. So there was a time 
when community health centres would provide mm. um, block, they were block funded to provide counselling for anybody who wanted it. And some of those people were social workers and some of them were psychologists. And I just feel like that model, which worked really well, has been eroded over time. Um, I couldn't and, agree and more. It's a part of the, yeah. Natasha, what does, like, what does it, how hard is it to access a social worker? Because when we talk about the average person knowing or understanding if they have access to a psychologist is one thing, but then knowing whether or not they have access to a social worker, how to even find a social worker, mm. what the role of a social worker right. is. That's right. That's right. That's right. And of course, it varies depending on the organisation. Um, but some organisations still provide generalist social work. So they're providing a whole range of actual supports for a person, um, you know, like uh, linking them in with housing or drug and alcohol counselling or um, any other supports, My Age Care, the NDIS, um, Centrelink, you know. So those are a range of services, but people who are mental health accredited can also provide um, therapeutic services, counselling services for people. Mm. You know what, Natasha, I'm going to pop you back on hold because great minds think alike and there is 100% a conversation hour in mm-hmm. social workers. I did a show not too long ago on youth workers and how yep. they're not funded anymore. I mean, I don't know about you, Daniel Miles, but when I was growing up, every second person I went to school with wanted to be a youth worker yeah. to the point where we're like, oh, yeah, you too. But <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I had met someone who said, oh, I'm a youth worker. I and I'm slowly, yeah, yeah, and they're so in important to our lives and and to the the health, to our mental health. Rachel Green is with you, the CEO of SANE. Is Natasha right? Do we just need more access, availability uh, to be able to to speak to a a social worker, Rachel? Absolutely. And and the the question you asked before, do people know what they do and where they are and how to find them? The answer, I think, is no. I mean, for a lot of people, the first time they hit a mental health crisis, it's completely bewildering because, you know, for most people, they're coming to it not having any idea about what's happening, what it might mean, where they might be going. The first information they receive, particularly if they've come by way of a crisis that involves emergency services, might be terribly frightening. And, you know, you're you're not given a menu. (laughs) These Mm -hmm. kinds of things might be um, part of your future life and these types of services and professions do different things and what sorts of qualifications might you want. Um, That's what we try and do in the guided service and actually we build in elements of social work. We try and um, hire within our staff quite a multidisciplinary team. Uh, We have social workers who manage the program and build in elements of that. Um, and we're trying to reset that balance. It's why we call it the guided service, by guiding mm. people to different things, particularly guiding people to things that are evidence-based, free and online, so that at least they can take advantage of things they're probably less likely to find on their own because of how difficult it is to navigate what's available when you're in a state of crisis or, you know, terribly depressed. Um, but it's difficult for people to try and find what is available on top of the fact that often it might not be available in your area. And that's probably the biggest problem we face is that we're currently restricted to only 13 primary health network regions. So in Victoria, um, whilst what I'm describing, you know, we're getting really positive feedback from the people who are using it. We're getting great uh, validated outcomes from an independent evaluation, but it's only available in certain postcode regions. So once again, um, it comes down to a case of 
you know, where you you know a lack of funding mm. and design. Yeah. Yeah. And those that can afford and those that can't. Rachel Green, what you're saying is obviously hitting home with our audience. I'm going to ask you to stay with us again because Sally's given us a call from Melbourne. Sally, uh, what would you like to say? Oh, hi. Um, yes, I'm an occupational therapist. And I just really wanted to agree with Rachel and also the previous social worker um, and just say that occupational therapists are also working very extensively with mental health challenges. I personally have a practice where I work with adolescents uh, around school difficulties, school attendance, yes. often neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a very big problem, um, particularly post-lockdowns. And um, I have students that come to me, secondary school students, that have not engaged with a psychologist very well and they come to me for a very different approach. Occupational therapists do do work in the community, at the school, at the home, looking at where the hooks are for the student to be able to unlock and unpick what is driving the mental health challenges and deal with them in a whole different range of approaches which are functional and values-based. And if you want to find occupational therapists that work in this way, which is not sitting in a clinical office necessarily, go to the Occupational Therapy Australia website. They've got an area that says find an occupational therapist. You'll find them in all different postcodes, not just in Victoria. It's a national website. Find your OT there. Occupational Therapy Australia. Oh, well done. Good stuff. So I'm popping you back on hold too because I think we can add you to the next program that we're going to be doing on this. Just finally, Rachel Green, the work that you do at SANE is so vital. Are you worried that we have just really just let this sleep and that the fixes are going to be long-term and this comes sometimes as a matter of life or death? Look, Yes, <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, we're an organisation that we know that the people we support, um, about 45% of them on referral to saying have no clinical mental health treatment in place at the time of referral. Mm. And about half of those are not in contact with any health service whatsoever. And that's frightening. And currently as an organisation, about 75, 80% of our funding ends on the 30th of June next year. So mm. we spend way more time than I'd like to lobbying to try and avoid some kind of shutdown of the organisation. And that's the reality. Um, When I'd rather spend it on innovation and continuing to design quality services and helping people get access to the things that might help them. So, yeah, the situation is really urgent. We've we've got to move away from outdated systems of thinking about reform and funding models that that, that come out of military procurement and start listening to people and families and communities, listening to the different professions and funding appropriately. I believe there was an announcement in a couple of years ago, sometime during lockdown, of uh, you know what was heralded as a big a big announcement it was something like one more counsellor for every school in Victoria. Mm, and I thought, I remember oh, that. And yep. I thought seriously because you know you just heard from an occupational therapist, and for people who aren't familiar with that term, you can hear occupational and think it's something to do with work, but it's about function. It's about how do you function in that case a school environment, and you know if we actually put that IT mindset on, what will it take for things to work well? We'd be thinking about what would it take for kids to do well in school when they're struggling? So we'd be thinking about how many social workers, occupational therapists, mental health nurses and psychologists should be in each school along with counsellors. How many do we need and have we funded it at the level of need? Not simply a here's, here's one extra to tick a box. 
Thank goodness for the work that you do, Rachel. Keep fighting that fight. I think we're going to get you back on our social worker program anyhow, which we've just pretty much locked in. (laughs) Thanks so much. Rachel Green, who's the CEO of SANE, I'm going to give you their number. So jot this into your phone, pop it down. It's 1-800-187-263. It's 1-800-187-263. I'm also going to give you another number as well because lots of people have sent in messages and talking about either whether it be uh, potentially where they've reached out for help, maybe when they were having suicidal thoughts or if they've had someone close to them in a similar situation. And that number is Lifeline and it is there for you, for everyone, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Put this one into your phone permanently. So Lifeline is 13 11 14. Dan Miles, as always, thank you. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Take care.